Hey guys, this is Kundai and you're listening to Medics Motive. This is the next episode in the Healthcare Leadership Academy conference series. So first of all, thank you to the sponsors, the MDU and Medics Academy. In this episode, we have Dr. Krista, a neurosurgeon, the head of the junior doctors in Norway and the vice president of the Norwegian Medical Association. Join us for a conversation on medicine, on neurosurgery and on leadership. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, so let's just jump right in. Okay, so firstly, why did you go into medicine? Well, I was uh, very uncertain on oh, what I was going to do. I was actually starting doing engineering. Uh, I, I quite liked mathematics, but found, you know, I, the human aspect of the engineering was not there. You know, I, I, needed, uh, I needed something something more than just natural science. And so medicine was a natural step, actually. And uh, not surprisingly, my father was uh, was a doctor. He was a surgeon, um, and so you know, for several years, I've been going with him on shifts. Uh, actually, going with him, seeing patients when he he worked as a GP for some some years, and then I went with him in his car and saw people and patients and saw him work. So it was being a doctor was sort of like the role of the doctor was. Uh, something I felt very comfortable with, you know, in a way, and I thought that would be a great thing to do, and obviously it was, so. Mm. Okay, so was this something that developed over time, or was there a specific moment you realized that being a doctor is what you wanted to do? Well, actually, I struggled a lot during uh, medical school, because it was not what I expected. I was, uh, you know, reading anatomy, pathology, and, you know, I didn't see any patients, but I think once I got into the corridor of a hospital and got the stethoscope and, uh, you know, uh, the beeper, the role of the doctor I felt very comfortable with and uh, I still feel it's, it's quite fun to be a doctor, I would say. Mm. And what is your definition of the role of the doctor? Well, the thing is, um, being a doctor is really being like an author, is that an English word? Like you. you interpret a role composed by natural science but also some part of uh, how do you say uh, human science or human knowledge uh, and also based on a lot of experience so a doctor is not really a natural scientist he's something more mm. and it's the combination of that that makes the role of the doctor and it's the combination that makes a lot of interpretations by different doctors. Mm. Like you have the very paternalistic doctor, you have the more patient-centered doctor, you have the listening doctor, you have the more, how do you say, the dictator, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Apart from being a doctor, I've been uh, reading uh, literature and I've also been publishing uh, five books, five novels. Uh, and in these novels, I've try to explore the role of the doctor just like I told you now mm-hmm. um, I think that's a you know it's an interesting part of medicine actually you know how you what kind of doctor you want to be you know, and mm-hmm. why, pe- why people end up being the doctor uh, yeah. they are I suppose part of it is how we define what medicine is because if you look at it as a science mm-hmm. the science of 
finding a problem and getting to the solution, so symptom to diagnosis, then you might be you might remove yourself from the more human the more human side of it. Mm. But if you look at it as say the art of medicine, then that's where you kind of intertwine all aspects of it together. Yeah, and, and during time through centuries this this uh this way of thinking about the, the doctor doctor's role has changed a lot. Mm. If you go back to the beginning of the 19th century, the doctor was the scientist. He was not really uh, like the first dramatization of uh, one of the first dramatizations of the doctor was like, for instance, Mary Shelley's uh, Doctor Frankenstein. Mm. He created a human being. Like he was a he was a natural scientist. He wanted to make something great. He wasn't really making people better or, or giving them uh, giving them um, medication. He was he was a scientist, right? Mm. And during the nineteenth century the surgeon rose uh, in a way, you know, they found ether anesthesia anesthesiology. Uh, suddenly you could operate on a patient on uh, in narcosis. In the beginning a lot of the uh, surgeons had like fifty to eighty, maybe hundred percent mortality. That was the challenges that the earliest uh, surgeons, you know, um, met and they were not respected and when you come uh, up to the 20th century, yeah. who's in charge and who's the hero in Grey's Anatomy? It's the <laughs> surgeon. Yeah. So it's, it's um, things are changing, you know, and, and uh, mostly due to development of medicine. Yeah. Um, but still, you can you can sense the same. The human aspect has also um, of medicine has taken a greater part in the role. Like from being a pure scientist, you now take care of people. You treat people. Mm. That was not so obvious in the beginning. Yeah, just quite surprising actually, given the fact that it is based on the patient, but. Um, so you said you're a neurosurgeon. What attracted you to neurosurgery? The drama, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually started doing neurology because I, I I'm quite I quite like uh, things being very structured. Most people don't like the neurological examination because it's so thorough, it's so boring, it's so long. You know, you have to do all these tests and ask the patient about this and that. You know, do you feel this? Do you feel that? Um, but in a way, it's fascinating because if you do a good neurological examination, you can actually tell a lot about what is the problem, what kind of neurological disease do you have, and on what level, uh, what's your prognosis. You can do a lot. What the problem with neurology is that you know it's uh, not that many treatments. Uh, how do you say that? The saying about neurology is that neurologists never treat people. You know, he only diagnoses them with uh, yeah. <laughs> different illnesses. But it, it's become a lot better now recently. It's like it's like neurosurgery. It's it's in the beginning. It's like doing a bungee jump every every day because it's, uh, you do procedures that are life threatening. Uh, yeah. Even the small ones are. Uh, you can get post-operative hemorrhages that are very life-threatening, you need to cope with them, you need to, you know, follow your patients, you get more and more neurotic because uh, you know that, you know, whatever you do, 
it might go wrong. Yeah. And so it's really like a lifestyle more than <laughs> anything else. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with that pressure? Because it is quite high stakes and that it's life or death. How do you deal with that pressure? I don't know, but I, I once I started doing operations, I quite liked the suspense. Uh, I was comfortable with the suspense. Uh, and I think the people that are not don't become neurosurgeons or cannot be. Uh, at the same time, it's like you have to balance, uh, you know, not to be too brave, not to be too defensive. Um, and you have to have, have to have the right personality. You cannot be uh, a guy that pushes the border every time uh, to see if you can do something a little bit more because then you become a dangerous neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, it, but it took a while for me to, you know, find the, to calibrate, to find the right, uh, right style. And I think, uh, how I cope with it, I don't know. It's uh, I still feel nervous uh, before big operations, and and uh, sometimes I can get sick of that nervousness because it's very tiring. But then it's also what attracts me to the specialty. Mm. So, do you find that once you're you've started the surgeries, can you? compartmentalize your feelings in the sense that you kind of put them to one side, you turn them off whilst you're in the surgery just so you can fully focus, or do you think those emotions kind of helps you to keep focused? I think uh, most surgeons feel more calm once the surgery is on, because that's, uh, in a way, uh, you need to just put everything aside. And uh, in a way, it's like... You are in charge of what happens in the room. You can you can you can uh, decide the pace of it. Uh, you can take breaks if you want, as long as you are the in, the one in charge, of course. But obviously, sometimes your uh, mood affects the way you operate. But usually, it's the other way around that uh, the way you operate, uh, or the, the the fact that you actually are operating, is affecting your mood, because most surgeons enjoy operating. You know, they, they like doing what they're doing right now, do it again, do it better. Uh, you have some favorite operations. I quite like uh, neck operations, for instance. I, I enjoy it. And, it's, mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I enjoy trying to do it better the next time uh, than I did it the last time. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes you can actually feel that you're doing it better. Sometimes you feel clumsy. Sometimes you feel that, wow, well, now I'm doing quite good. But then you also know that you have to watch yourself because usually the times when you say now nah, this is going very well something bad happens so <laughs> yes. just you know it's the it's the way things are mm. <laughs> you can see that a lot in Grey's Anatomy and Dr. Shepherd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah don't ever say this is going amazing you know <laughs> have to touch wood every time um okay so moving on to the healthcare leadership academy at the conference so you'll be sitting on a panel discussing if leadership in the healthcare system is broken. Yeah. What's your take on this? Well, you know, it's uh, if you look into history again, like 20 years ago in Norway, uh, the, the leader of a unit, there were two, two leaders, one uh, leader for the nurses yeah. and one for the doctors. And that was a doctor and a nurse. After 1999, 
um, uh, the leadership became neutral. That means that the dentist or uh, both, um, people with uh, economic degree could, could govern the whole unit, and it was um, the medical leadership uh, is not rooted in the leader in a unit any longer. That this means a whole different way of running a hospital, and it's obviously uh, due to that hospitals need to report back on economical balance, right? But it creates all also a dilemma, like what should you focus on? Should you focus on your budget, or should you focus on what's best for the patients? And it creates this continuous battle between the doctors and the, and the leadership and that's what's been you know happened in, in the NHS obviously mm. it's happening in Scandinavia we had big debates on it in Norway what to do with this um, and it's also about the decline of the status of the doctor because the doctor is, should not be in charge any longer of both the economics and the medical, uh, how do you say, the, the right medical treatment. You know, he's actually just, he's, he's become a, doctor has become a worker. So uh, it creates a lot of dilemmas and it creates a lot of uh, disturbance and it creates, uh, it makes the, it possible for the government to put economy first or the budget first and with the results what happened in the NHS for instance. Mm. Um, and so what to do with this? I don't know if there's a way around it, but I think the awareness that medical leadership is important, the awareness that doctors should uh, go into training uh, as a leader earlier, I think is one of the learnings from this because uh, in Norway we have it like that you need to finish your specialization, maybe work as a consultant for a few years, then you get head or you have the opportunity to take a master in leadership and okay. maybe get the position. Right? Mm -hmm. Should we? Uh, I'm the medical association in Norway. Should we encourage people to go into leadership once they're out of medical school? Do they need to finish training or specializing, for instance, in gynecology, to become the leader in a gynecological, gynecological uh, unit? Do they? Um, is We have a, a lot of research saying that doctors are better leaders. But th does it mean that doctors need to be specialists to be better leaders? I'm not sure. And I think I see a lot of the medical students, they have abilities that don't really maybe fit with a specialization, but they have quite typical good leadership qualities. Maybe they should be given the chance of, you know, getting in the position earlier, before they become specialists. Maybe they don't ever should become specialists. Maybe they should just do a career in medical leadership. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I've not thought about it in that aspect actually because a lot of people might have already I was saying earlier in a discussion with uh, someone else that I think that leaders are created and not made 
in the sense of being made is you're already you're either a leader or you're not you have the qualities or you're not or you don't have them but I think you're creative in the sense that if you work on your personal development you can become a leader and if you're someone who started working on these traits from a young age and if you just happen to still be in medical school or F1 or junior doctor and you still have these qualities that are very strong mm. then I think you should have the opportunity to go into leadership positions mm. but I didn't forgot about the fact that it's more likely that people who are specialists would be going into these positions. I think the medical community need to, I need to change their prejudice towards this because a lot of doctors feel that you need to be a specialist to be a leader, you know, you need the foundation of you know, being able to, you know, to have a special speciality and think maturely. Um, but I'm, I'm, I don't know. It, it's, it's uh, what I see is like, like you say, is that some people have more talent than others for leadership. A lot of people can become a good leader uh, through uh, good coaching, and I think that's possible. But I, I think that a lot of people don't need to become specialists to become leader, uh, and we should be open to both types of leaders. What I do think, though, is that we have too few medics in charge in units, in hospitals, in Britain, in Norway, most of Europe now. Other professions are taking over the leadership of the hospitals. And I think I don't like the development that leads the medical service. Mm. Because of the focus, obviously. Because of the budget, you know, the focus on the budget rather than the medical treatment. Yeah. That uh, we should cherish what we learn in medical school. It's a way of thinking. It's a role, like I told you. It's not easy for people outside medical school to grasp that. I think. Mm. I suppose part of the reason why people might think, like you said, how there is a culture and you have to be more specialized. If you're going to be a doctor in leadership, you have to be a specialized doctor. Part of that is you have the experience of having worked in that system to be able to like try and make change in the system. So I don't know how... Yeah, but you know, take anesthesiology. Mm. Not, I, I've been working a lot with anesthesiologists. If you are an internal people uh, in internal work in internal medicine, you would still be able to uh, grasp the challenges of being an anesthesiologist and run a department, I would say. You don't need, you know, that much long experience um, in neurosurgery. You could be a neurologist, you know, maybe halfway through the, 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 the training. You could also run a neurology department. It, it's a neurosurgical department. It's, it's uh, because it's leadership is about having good ideas, talking to people, uh, understanding what, you know, why this guy doesn't go so well with this guy. Why there's a conflict? It's a way of looking at things that you don't really get in medical school. That's why you need some extra training, you know, to look on it. Uh, but since you have your medical background, you grasp it quite quickly. I would say, if you have the right coaching, we should try to coach our medical students and our uh, junior doctors earlier, at an earlier stage, to motivate them to get into leadership, to leading roles, not only becoming clinicians. Mm. So do you think this should be a central part of 
curriculums or part of what the university provides or the societies or some sort of initiatives? I think, yeah, I think, and that's why I, I quite enjoy the, or I'm a fan of the uh, Healthcare Leadership Academy, of course, because that's what they do, you know, they actually uh, give people a chance to see what leadership is about at an early stage. We're working now, uh, I'm talking to the health minister in Norway about uh, trying to set up uh, um, some of the students that will be uh, studying in Bergen to be able to get a master in leadership mm. at the same time as they do medical school. Like they have a, some, some students in Bergen have a, a research branch that you know you can get out of your uh, medical school while doing a PhD. You only add a few years more. Okay. What if you do the same having a leadership branch? You should be able to have that in medical school as well. Mm -hmm. But that takes, obviously, it takes funding. But what's fun is, I brought Johan to talk about this in Norway. And people are just so overwhelmed. They think it's a great idea. I haven't met anyone that they don't think this is a great idea. Anywhere I've been. The politicians, they quite want doctors in leading roles. It's us, you know, that don't want it. <laughs> the, yeah. You know, we uh, we are not motivated by it. We, you know, we'd rather be clinicians. We, we'd rather be specialists first, for instance. But, you know, so it's it's possible. I think it's possible to turn mm. this trend. Isn't that exactly is where, as you're saying, the training kind of puts place? Because then you get more exposure to leadership and more mm -hmm. people who might have not ex have exposed to that will be thinking, okay, I might be able to be a leader, um, and so forth. But, on this note, what do you think are the two qualities that a leader needs to be a good leader? I think being a leader, you need respect for your peers and your uh, your workers or your employees. Uh, you need to show them respect, mm -hmm. uh, and you need to have respect. Uh, and I think that would, if they get the feeling that you actually do you get a lot for free because people that feel respected feel comfortable and do a good job mm -hmm. and then you need to trust people with things you need to delegate uh, and be able to do it because a lot of uh, leaders uh, tend to tend to see too much control they don't really and trust people. Being able to do that, I think you will get the most out of people because people do things in different manners or ways. Different manners that you may be used to, but that shouldn't make you insecure as long as they provide what you want them to provide. Mm. You can rather, you know, uh, confront them on that they haven't provided what has been the task. Uh, rather than going and trying to control the way they work. Okay. What are your top three cheesy puzzle wisdom that you'd have to share? Uh, talk to people. Mm. Like, know people, know their first name, uh, see them, look them in the eye, um, uh, tell them that you've been doing a great job this, this year. I've really seen you, you know, excelling and growing in your position. Um, and that's very important in uh, junior doctors or medical association because uh, people don't get paid 
do the job. You know, it's people that are union representatives that do this beside their job. Um, they need recognition. Uh, if you don't give them recognition, you know, it's not worth doing. You know, they actually do things uh, for other people. You know, uh, even though they actually should be specializing in <laughs> in whatever they do, right? Mm-hmm. So giving this recognition, I do it a lot. It's it's tiring, it's, you know, but I it, it's so worth every 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 minute of it. Um, and uh, the same like this like I I I, I talked to you about entrustment. Um, Sting has a great song. He says, uh, "If you love someone, set them free." Mm. So that's a cheesy problem. <laughs> um, if you uh, if you want to lead someone, set them free. Um, it's the same way, right? Uh, don't. Uh, that's the term I actually. Uh, the saying I, I learned from Johan uh, um, control the message, not the messengers. Mm, that's it. If you give them the message and you repeat the message, they do the job for you. They spread the word in their own way. Mm-hmm. That was, that's what happened during the junior doctor strike here in, in England and that's what I learned when I arranged a similar strike or industrial actions in, uh, in Norway mm-hmm. um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's just extremely important to respect people for what they are and see uh, every, you know doctors they have so many talents you know they they come up with you know so many good ideas, so many um, you know um, like in in hair, like in in um, in Norway they made songs during the strikes, they play guitar, they made videos, uh, and all because we made them repeat a, a few messages, right? Mm-hmm. So, but they did it in their own way, and that's the beauty of of uh, I, I would say being a leader of doctors and I, I see they don't do that in most medical wards. They don't do that in medical units in hospitals. You know, people are just told to do things the way they've been doing it for a hundred years. Same way, you know, there's no innovation. And I think that's uh, an advice I would give most doctors le- or leaders in, uh, in healthcare. Um, and then one last Cheese pearl of wisdom is that you never act on emotion. Never act on emotion. Mm-hmm. If you're a leader, you should never act on emotion. And if you feel emotional about something, you should take a deep breath, rethink what you've just been thinking about, uh, and maybe even say, I hear what you say, I'll get back to you on that. Mm-hmm. Can I actually have a fourth one? Mm-hmm. If you're sorry, say sorry. Even though if you're a leader, say you're sorry. People get just speechless. You know? <laughs> I'm probably the they, wrong. They don't even, you know, I actually it's just a few days ago said sorry. Uh, the people, I, uh, the, the, the woman I said it to, she didn't believe me. You know, she was like, she was stunned, you know. She was just eyeing me. What are you doing? <laughs> say it if you mean it. Yeah, but then I, I didn't, you know, I didn't argue why. I didn't say anything else. I just said, sorry. Mm. Saying it when it means the most. 
Obviously, you need to mean it, you know. But if you think it or if you feel sorry, mm. that's what you should say. Yeah, definitely. Once again, thank you, Krista, for your time and wisdom. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to the MDU Minutes Academy, the HLA. And I hope you guys stay tuned. Until next time, this was Kandaya on Medics Motive.